Grace and peace to you, little children, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The entirety of a kid's life consists of waiting. Waiting for birthdays, waiting for Christmas, waiting for the school year to end and summer break to begin. There's always waiting for the next big event because after each event, it gets old, doesn't it? But even more to the point, kids are mostly waiting for their turn, for their turn in life, for their moment to arrive. For little children are never old enough or big enough or strong enough or responsible enough. And there's always a reason why they can't do something or aren't ready to be included in everything. Well, I'm sorry, sweetie. I know you've been waiting patiently, and yes, you have gotten quite big. But you're just not ready to drive because you've only turned six. (laughs) And so they wait until it's their turn. And that's what being a child really is. It's almost what the, what the word means. Having to wait until you're big enough to do for yourself without interruption or interference from others. And I'm sure everyone has their own story to illustrate this, but, but here's mine. I have a vague memory, nothing detailed. It's more just an impression of a story of visiting my, grandfather, my grandpa one weekend. We did this quite often. So I'm not sure of the exact details, but I do recall the feeling of being a little kid. I overheard my grandpa conversing and making plans for the weekend with my parents and aunts and uncles, all the adults that were in the room. His plan was to leave early the next morning. He was going to go on a day trip, hunting. And at that moment, I just knew without talking to anybody, that that was my time too. The rest of the day, I prepared myself mentally, physically, and spiritually. I did all that I could to show that I was ready, grown up, that I was enough for this trip. And I made sure to, see, for, to make sure everyone saw how responsible I was being This was my time, I was convinced. I could be included finally in the hunt. I was four. So you can imagine how crushed I was that next morning when I got up early and got dressed just how I thought I should be and was ready to walk out the door when Grandpa said, where I'm going, you cannot come. You can't be included in this. Well, the feeling hangs around, doesn't it? The disappointment lasts. And even though that's all in the past, the feeling is still there. That's kind of like Easter for us. The big celebration on Easter Day is over. The visiting families have all returned home. The lilies in the sanctuary have disappeared Thankfully, to those of us who have allergies and gets into our noses. 
We're still clinging by our fingernails to the Easter greeting that we use in this season. Let's see if it still works. Christ is risen. Yeah, nice job. It's not quite as uh, vociferous as it was a few weeks ago, and that's what I mean. We're still got it, but it's, it's starting to wear off a little bit, isn't it? I mean, it was a big shot in the arm after a long, cold winter, but now it's starting to leave us again with just that impression, that feeling of Easter for us. But you know, this is not a new thing, and in the church's history and in its wisdom, it doesn't just give us Easter for one day. It gives us seven weeks of Easter to celebrate. Because Easter isn't delivering a feeling to us, but a promise. And a promise in Christ doesn't just wear off or wear out. We don't move on beyond it and looking for the next big event to come our way. Instead, the Easter message truly is, there's no going back. The promise is, everything is new. The door is shut, the bar is closed, the old is over and done with completely. While the new that comes in Christ never ends, it's always new. His death is the end of the old. And his resurrection is our new life, our whole new creation. You can hear this message blaring through each of today's scripture readings. The gospel from John 13 begins with Judas going out to betray Jesus. But just before this, the story at the, at the first half of John chapter 13 is really about Peter and the disciples because Jesus enters into them in order to wash their feet. And Peter mistakes that for his moment. Jesus says, I'm going to do this for you. And Peter says, you will not wash my feet. Peter wants to tell Jesus what to do. He thinks it's his time to shine. He wants to be included. And so he says, if you're, I'm going to wash you instead of you washing me. And Jesus tells him both times, no. This is my moment. This is my time. This is the new life I'm bringing to you. So he said, well, if, you don't, if you're going to wash me, wash all of me. As just Peter could do, always trying to insert himself into what Jesus is doing for us. And Jesus had to tell him, you might be tired of waiting for your time. You might be looking for that next big event, but this isn't for you. This is me doing it for you. And so you see here how Jesus takes both Peter's and Judas's sin, their insistence upon participating in Jesus' work, their insistence upon telling him how to do it, their insistence upon inserting themselves into what God is up to, showing just how mature and grown up they can be, each taking their turn that they have patiently waited for, and now Jesus is going to take this all and turn it into his moment of glory. Nobody thinks that betrayal and sin are glorious, 
Of course they're not. They're what separate us from Jesus' glory. They're what keep us from God's glory, right? But not Jesus. In Peter's insistence, in Judas's betrayal, the glory of God is coming now through Christ, where he can say to them, it's not about you, it's about me. What I am doing now, you have no part of. I'm doing it for you. You are little children, never to grow up, but always to receive what I do for you. This is what Easter is about. This is what the Christian message is, that Christ has died, Christ is risen. He has made us new in his death and resurrection, and the old we cannot get back to. But just how new is new in Christ? Well, we hear a bit about it when we heard Acts 11, again with Peter having this vision where he now gets to eat reptiles. Well, that's kind of new, I guess. But also, the newness of going and giving God's word and promise, giving God's glory to the Gentiles who have never been the people of God before, that's pretty new. But that's not the whole thing of Easter. We hear an even bigger vision of new in Revelation 21, which the choir sang just a portion of us to. But this, this vision of a new heaven and a new earth where the old heaven and the old earth, all of creation having passed away and going away, and this whole new thing coming out of God right to us where the old is over and the new never ends, where tears and sadness and mourning and even death are no more a part of this world, no more a part of our lives. It's a whole new creation given where God lives among us. That's awfully new, but there's still even more newness to be found. Coming back to our gospel lesson, Jesus calls his disciples who are always insisting on doing it their way Little children, little children, he's going to do it for them. And where he is going, they cannot come. It's not their time, but his. But he gives them a new commandment. You guys remember the old commandment, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law hangs upon these two. But even in that, it's left upon you. How much can you love? To love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what if you don't love yourself very much? Well, then I guess I don't have to love you a whole lot, do I? But here, the new commandment is to love your neighbors not according to our standard, not according to our ability, but according to what? As Jesus has loved us. That is the new creation. That it's all based upon God's love in Jesus Christ for us, not upon how much we can love. Jesus takes the old commandment and twists it and makes it completely new for us, taking us out of the entire equation and saying, this is how you are to love, by giving your life, entire life, to your neighbor. 
No more loopholes. But you know, even this kind of commandment still has a bit of a sting to us, doesn't it? It's like we've been waiting for our whole life to be loving enough so that people could look at us and we wouldn't have to say, of course I'm a Christian. They would just know, but it never seems to happen. We just don't love that way. Our love never seems to measure up. And as long as you're trying to measure your love against Christ's love instead of living in his love and loving your neighbor in it, you're always going to feel the pinch like you haven't arrived, like your moment isn't here, and like you're not enough. But the Easter promise is that it's all new. And that those hurts and those worries and those feelings of inadequacy that we all carry around are all in the past. Christ has come not with more feelings to battle our feelings, but with a promise to put an end to our feelings. A promise to take us through our feelings. A promise that says you are children of God. You've been baptized into Christ. You are dead to sin. And even though you feel it, you are not dying but alive to God. Yes, we continue to cling to the old, even though the new has come. And the famous theologian Karl Barth said that the old Adam, the old you, the one who is a sinner, the one who is trapped in your past, waiting for your moment, that one is a very good swimmer. So that in the waters of baptism, he's always trying to keep his head just above the water and say, I could still make it. I might be there. But the promise... The promise in baptism is that sin has been drowned in you and you are finally a new creation. So this old struggle of trying to keep our old life, hang on to the past, now comes to an end in the promise of God. No longer looking back and wondering when my moment is going to be here, but saying my moment is always in Christ who has given me his life now and forever and ever. Amen.